So, as I mentioned last week, it's been some time since I've done an Advent series on Advent. And so we're taking these weeks leading up to the Feast of Christmas. And if you were here last week, you remember the significance of that term, the Feast of Christmas. We're taking these weeks leading up to that time to talk about what Advent is, how it has been practiced, why it has been practiced, the way that it has been practiced. And last week we hit on some, uh, I'll, I'll hit on some of the highlights that we got to last week. Um, from Christmas Eve through until the Feast of Epiphany, which is January 6th, it has been a traditional way of celebrating to take those days, those 12 days of Christmas, and to the wisdom of our tradition has been to do things differently during that period of time. And it's been very different than the way that we as Americans uh, practice it. We tend to practice Christmas starting sometime after Thanksgiving and then just running pell-mell through to Christmas Day, and then we just drop from exhaustion unless we can wake up sometime around New Year's Eve and then go to a party. But these days have been about um, celebrating during the 12 days of Christmas. So in that part of our tradition, those 12 days were set aside as a time to visit friends, as a time to give kisses and to share gifts, a time to light fires and sit around those fires. It was a time to prepare foods that we don't normally eat and a time to rest from work that we normally do. It was a time to sing songs that we don't normally sing and to tell stories to our children that are stories of remembrance, stories of valuation, things that we find important, stories to stir one another up to savoring life's goodness. But, as we saw last week, the purpose of setting those annual times apart was to amplify the lessons that God has given us in the very earth. And so we recognize that certain things happen every year because of the tilt of the axis of the earth, because of the way the seasons come and go, because of the way that the plant life goes dormant and then comes alive. At certain times marked by the year, the earth teaches us lessons. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare, the heavens teach you of God's ways, and the firmaments teach you. The, The very earth that we walk on teaches us. In the springtime, It teaches us. In the spring, it teaches us that after the death of winter, there is hope. As the earth's rotation shifts and we move from the days when every day is getting shorter and every night is getting longer and the darkness is increasing until we hit sometime around the winter solstice when the days then begin to get longer, the earth teaches us that light will return. And teaches us, teaches us to hope in the midst of the darkness. Even forests teach us. Because after a devastating fire, the forest will return. And it will return with an increased vigor. And so, the heavens declare these great lessons. The earth speaks forth these great lessons. Becomes our teacher. And the ancient rhythm of celebration has been to mark certain feasts during the times of the year when the earth is speaking to us and to infuse them with meaning, to set apart those times and to pay attention. We have this master teacher that God has given us. We need to sit down and we need to pay attention to what is being taught us. 
And so we looked last week at how the ancient Hebrew festivals took time in the spring to reinforce the lessons of hope, and we looked at the stories that were told during that time. Sorrow comes in the night was the song that they sang, but, but joy comes in the morning. So we celebrate to reinforce these great lessons that have been given us by the earth, to consolidate them in our hearts and to give focus and attentiveness to them. And so, when during the solstice we light fires and we sing songs and we eat lavishly, we do so even though the earth will not bear its fruit for many months to come. And we teach ourselves to live in hope. There in the darkness, we festoon our homes and we love our people. And we make love and we conceive babies, even though food is scarce at that time, in the hope that tomorrow will come. On the day when the days begin to lengthen, but we still live in darkness, the earth teaches us to hope in the darkness. As the days begin their long march to summer and to harvest, we are taught to hope when harvest has not yet arrived. So we celebrate. And we celebrate to reinforce these great lessons that the heavens declare and that the firmaments show forth. Hope is truth. We said that last week. We celebrate to reinforce that great truth because it is easily missed. We celebrate in order to infuse that into a deep part within us because hope is essential to live the human life well. So... As Christians, we celebrate this time in a Christian way. We celebrate hope in a Christian way. We saw last week that we sing the songs of Isaiah. We speak of God with us. We speak of Emmanuel. We, think of, we speak of hope in the darkness. We speak of a new birth. When the earth looks dead, we speak of the birth of life and of hope and of promise. This is how we reinforce this great lesson of hope. Well, that's a quick glimpse of what we talked about last week. If you missed, go ahead and have a listen online because I can can only just kind of scratch the surface of what we talked about. But I want to start where we left off last week and look at the other side of the equation around celebration. Because celebration, it turns out, is a two-step dance. Only part of it is the part we've looked at thus far. For our celebration times to have meaning... For them to have significance, for the special clothes that we wear, the gift giving that we do, the special songs that we sing, the hugs and the kisses, for all of that to have meaning, we have to have eyes to see what is being given us. Because the earth is a subtle teacher. The divine voice is a still and small one. Wisdom is easily missed. The insight and perception that we need to live the human life well, the prudence and wisdom that our celebrations are designed to reinforce in us, these things do not bang themselves into our consciousness. They're gentle truths, and they come softly, and they come tenderly, and it is very easy to miss them. So if your Christmas starts sometime around Thanksgiving... And it is a blitz that runs from Black Friday through a dazzling blitz of Christmas parties. If you have 
obligatory shopping at crowded shops, and if you are carrying anxiety, as many of us do when your family comes to town, and if that becomes the sum total of your celebration, and if that's what it devolves into, then we will take away precious little from our celebration. We will take away precious little of the ancient wisdom that was embedded into this annualized rhythm, and we will miss what we need to carry us through the many dark nights that are facing us in the year before us. If the way that we celebrate is all heated rush and frenzied hurry, then we will miss the very reason why our tradition has called us to set aside aside these times for merriment and joy in the first place. If we miss the essential soul ingredients that are embedded in the rhythm of celebration, we will be left without a very important tool to help us navigate the coming year. So as I mentioned, hope is an essential ingredient for living the human life well. So during these 12 days of Christmas, we've celebrated how to hope. During the days following Easter, called Eastertide, during those days has been our way to set aside days for merriment, days for feasting, days for remembrance. But that's not the only part of the equation. It's only half of the equation. It has also been our way to integrate a second step into this celebratory dance. It becomes this two steps being we celebrate, but before we celebrate, we prepare our hearts. So it becomes a two-step dance of preparation and celebration. Preparation and celebration. This two-part process is the kind of celebrating that evokes the deep lessons that the earth would teach us into our souls. So, it has been our way in our Christian tradition to celebrate the Feast of Easter each spring when life returns to the earth. But before we celebrate Easter, we prepare ourselves so that we can hear Easter's profound lessons. And to do that, we set aside the days of Lent. Preparation, celebration, Lent, Easter. And it has been our way to celebrate the feasts of Christmas and Epiphany at the time of the winter solstice. And as the earth teaches us that darkness will flee and that light will return, we prepare ourselves to hear this profound lesson in a very real and practical way. And we do that by setting aside the days of Advent as preparatory days. Advent, Christmas, preparation, celebration. One of my favorite hymns of the Christmas season is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it hits on this rhythm so profoundly. Its lyrics acknowledge the darkness. One of the lines is, Our souls mourn in lonely exile here. We know something is amiss. We know something is not right. We feel disconnected from our true beings. We feel disconnected from the truest truths. We review to ourselves as we sing the human condition, and we see how it requires that we seek for something, that we ask for something, that we knock at the door for something. We acknowledge in these preparatory times 
what we lack and what we need and what we yearn for. And so we acknowledge that ours become days of quest. Ours becomes days of searching. We are looking for light in the midst of darkness. We are looking for hope in the midst of despair. And the hymn calls us to that preparatory mindset, that watchfulness. And I love in that hymn that the verses are in a minor key to speak of life's dark side. But after we've done that, the refrain comes in and it proclaims, Rejoice, rejoice, God with us, Emmanuel. That's what that word means. God with us is come to you, and hope and light and life are come to you. So raise your eyes to see, tune your ears to hear, pay attention. This is the very heartbeat of the spiritual journey. Pay attention. And so when I hear that hymn, it speaks to me of the preparatory side of celebration. Before we cook the foods, before we light the fires, before we give the gifts, we orient ourselves to paying attention to the lessons that the skies and the earth and the person of Jesus teach us each year. We quiet our hearts and we open our eyes. We warm our hearts and we cool down the frenzy. We remind ourselves that hope is the greater truth. And then we look for hope in our days. We remind ourselves that life overcomes death. And then we look at how life is unfolding in our days. We remind ourselves that God is good and I am safe. And then we look for how goodness is being manifest in our days. And in taking up these practices, we are developing eyes that see and ears that hear. If you look through our scriptures, even a cursory glance, you recognize that phrase. It happens a lot. Eyes that see, ears that hear. And it usually comes in this context. It says, if you would have truth, if you would know the way, if you would know the truth in life, then you must have eyes that see and ears that hear. For the truth is always there. It is always being presented to you. Every day the sun comes up, it is being presented to you. Every day you love your people, it is being presented to you. Every day it is there. If you have eyes to see it, if you have ears to hear it. And so, two and three and sometimes four times each year, we celebrate. We celebrate as a way of tuning our ears to hear and focusing our eyes to see. That's the very antithesis of the soul-numbing rush that so many of us experience during the Christmas season. Again, the truer truths are gentle. The realer reality is discreet, presents itself softly in very low tones. And knowing that, it has been the Christian way to set aside the weeks of Advent and of Lent for the purpose of preparing our ears to hear. In Lent, we often set aside a habit or a pastime or a favorite activity or a favorite food. Perhaps we don't listen to the news for all the weeks leading up from Ash Wednesday through till Easter. And instead of watching the news, we would perhaps read a spiritual book during that time, tuning our ears to hear, focusing our eyes to see. In Advent, perhaps we light a fire with a friend and we sit and speak together about our own particular iteration of darkness. 
This is the thing inside of me that I would like to see vanquished in the year to come. This is the hope that I have in the year to come. And we make time for those spiritual soul-tuning practices. Even in the throes of holiday busyness, our ancient wisdom enjoins us to set aside a time for spiritual friendship and to ask one another, where is your growing edge? Where are you being challenged? What are you doing better at than you have been? Or where are life and circumstances and these relationships, where are these things that are part of your life demanding that you grow because the way that you're doing it now is creating so much pain and it insists that you grow into a new dimension. What is that area for your life? Where are you being called to growth? And we take the time out to do that. We take the time out to journal or we take the time out to increase our times given to examine of consciousness or we do any one of those practices that we put up there in the circle, the four practices. That kind of preparation, this has been an integral part of our tradition of celebration. We set aside the days immediately before merriment. We set aside the days immediately before remembrance. We set aside the days immediately before the stories and the songs and the feasting, and we set those days apart to bring preparation to our hearts so that we realize the significance of what we're doing when we create these joyous days. So in these last weeks, I've been doing that. I've been particularly focused in my spiritual reading. I've chosen my books carefully. I've chosen books that will not help me prepare some future lesson, but will help me see what I have not seen. And this is the rhythm of the ancients. It is the two-step dance of celebration, preparation and merriment. Preparation, feasting. Preparation, songs and stories. There's the preparation, then the joyousness. We feast and we set aside time and energy to create the feasting. We do the joyous things and we set aside time and energy to create those joyous things. But we also set aside time to prepare ourselves, to quiet our minds, to give focus to our attention, to tune our souls to the greater truths, things like A while ago, our church council decided that we would begin our meetings asking one another about our growth edges. And so we'll go around the circle and we'll ask one another that. This week when it was my turn, I told about an experience that I had. I don't know if it actually qualified as a growth edge, but this was the story I told. George organized the Messiah sing-in last Friday night, and Denise and I went to it. Now, I'm very familiar with the Messiah. This is how long I've been listening to it. I wore out an LP <laughs> before I wore out a cassette tape, <laughs> before I wore out a CD, <laughs> all right? So I've been listening to this thing for a long time. Now I've got it digitally as an MP3. I won't be wearing anything out anytime soon. So I'm very familiar with the music, and I'm very familiar with the story that it tells, and I'm very familiar with the history behind it. And, uh, but this time, it was a different experience, because I was sitting next to Denise, and so we went to the alto section because she sings alto. And I was listening to altos doing the alto part of the Messiah, and it was different. The tonal quality was different. The harmony emphases were different. It was different. And it was delightful. It really was. After a while, I stopped looking at the score, and I gave up on trying to contribute. <laughs> 
probably prudence is the better part of valor. <laughs> and I just stood there, and I listened to the voices around me, and I watched. I watched the conductor in front of me. I watched the high schoolers in the North Carolina Symphony who were playing for us. And in those moments, something happened to me. Now, I call what happened to me semi-mystical, and that's because it wasn't mystical, and like I didn't have anything, the heavens open up or anything like that, but neither was it normal. It wasn't this kind of experience, and it wasn't this kind of experience, so I throw the word semi in there, and, this, and it was just simply this. In those moments, I knew that I was alive, and I knew that I am alive, and that was the experience. I am alive. Now, here's how you have to know that it's semi-mystical, because I just said those words, and those words really do capture the experience, but they don't even come close to capturing the experience. Because what happened to me is something different than I can encapsulate in words. As I sat there among those people singing together, the room was filled with life. Now, the room's always filled with life. This room is filled with life. And I was there, but something inside of me knew it, and I experienced it deeply. I am alive. I am experiencing life. And something settled down inside of me, and it just became such gratitude that I get to see, and I get to hear, and I get to be and I get to share that experience with others who are also alive, who also get to see and hear and be. And as I stood there, awakening to my own aliveness, the experience set something of a benchmark inside of my soul. I know that because that was a week ago Friday. And now, these nine days later, I am still carrying the echo of that Momentous seeing. I've had some really busy days that work has been particularly demanding as I'm getting us ready for our 2014 work. I've also sat with Scott during some very heartbreaking days. One other person that was going through some deep heartbreaks. And then I've had at least one very deep sorrow of my own during those nine days. And still, these days later, the seeing still resonates inside of me. I am alive, and I am with you, and I am tasting tastes, and I am seeing sights, and I am deeply appreciating being. And standing there with the altos, I saw what I don't normally see. It's always there. I just don't normally see it. And the seeing colored my perspective beyond the day. The insight last week is changing the way I'm living this week. Because this week also is filled with precious moments, even difficult ones, even heartbreaking ones. And my hope is that these visionary moments sustain my broadened perspective into the year that even comes before us. When I continue to savor, that's what I look for, will I continue to savor my moments on this earth? And my hope is that I continue to find these moments as deeply precious as they truly are. Denise and I had a fuss this week. We probably do that two or three times a year, and this was the week. And even in the midst of that, 
There was echoing inside of me, deep, deep, deep within, a rich savoring of the gift that life is. So there, that thing, it happened. It happened to me. Now, I want to parse out that experience and look at it from the perspective of this two-step rhythm we have around celebration. So, celebration done well has feasting in it, has merriment in it, has special song singing, has special storytelling, but all of that is preceded by preparation. That's the paradigm. You remember it. I just mentioned that a bit ago. So I hope you remember the Thanksgiving lesson that I did, Thanksgiving weekend. It was about stirring ourselves to gratitude as a discipline, being intentional and purposeful about bringing gratitude because we can't just wait for gratitude to overwhelm us. We have to intentionally do it because it changes us when we do that process. Well, I've been doing that. I've been doing that for many weeks leading up to that lesson, and I've been doing it since then. Stirring up gratitude is one of the ways that we pay attention in this spiritual journey. It's one of the ways that we change our perceptions. And so as I have been doing it, I've been feeding the preparation of my soul so that I would have eyes that see and ears that hear. I've also been making time for quiet. Gone to a couple of places to shut out the noise. I've done an informal form of examine of consciousness lately. Now, that's the second time you've heard that term. If you don't know what that is, next year we'll be talking to you about what examine of consciousness is. My examine has taken the shape of reflecting on how my Enneagram type impacts the day-to-day interactions that I have that have become so habitual. Why am I doing things that way? What does that mean? Where is the value in that? And so as I do this post-mortem analysis of my experience standing there with the altos, what I come to is this, that uh, connecting to these great truths in the way that I did was somehow related to the weeks of preparation that I had been doing. Now, I wasn't planning on having a great epiphany when I got to the Messiah singing. I was planning on just going and having a fun time. But it happened. The preparation that precedes celebration often is designed to insert into our hearts an insight that we had not previously grasped or our eyes to see. Special celebrations become special because of the preparation that we do leading up to them. That's the ancient paradigm. It's the ancient wisdom. Christmas becomes special because Advent prepares us for celebration. Easter time becomes special because Lent prepares us to see the truths that are invested in the celebration. So there at that moment, singing special songs that the Messiah sings, telling the special story that the Messiah tells, having prepared my heart, I was taken by surprise. Special songs did what special songs do. We'd gone out to eat before. Special food does what special, did what special food does. Special stories did what special stories do. They cemented into my experience something bigger than the day. It was an insight that will inform the year, hopefully the year after as well. And that is the wisdom of our tradition. We prepare ourselves to have eyes to see so that we might see. And then we blow the roof off with specialness. Preparation, celebration, preparation, celebration. If we only celebrate without the preparation, we'll see next week, we invite ourselves to dissipation. We invite ourselves to a reduced experience 
rather than an enlightened experience. So we'll pick up there next week. This week I want you to think about this. How could you set aside some time to focus on what the Advent season was designed for? How could you set aside some time to tune your ears to hear the greater truths? What is your way? You journal. You have conversations with spiritual friends. Do you take time to reflect at day's end? Do you insist upon your life sitting down to meditate? What do you do? How do you prepare yourself? Tune yourself. I made two or three suggestions. But what resonates with you? How would you take into yourself the ancient wisdom of this tradition, this preparatory leading into the wisdom of celebration? So, Lord, may we have eyes that see, and may we have lives that are opened because we do. May we have ears that hear, and may we have lives that are expanded because we do. And may we follow the ancient wisdom of giving ourselves, ourselves the gift of preparation before we celebrate. Be that so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.